Your Money Replay from Money FM 89.3. Money and Me on Your Money, only on Money FM 89.3. Christopher Long is founder of Crypto Trader SG. Today we're talking about the Bitcoin ecosystem. Uh, you don't have to have that glazed outlook in your eyes if you have no idea what that's about. That's the point of this show. We're going to find out with uh, Chris Long. How are you? Hi, morning, Michelle. I'm good very morning. good. Thank you. <laughs> uh, so, Chris, for the benefit of our listeners, can you maybe just share a little of your experience with Bitcoin to start with? Yeah, no problem. Uh, so a little bit of my background, I used to work as an investment banker and a couple of years ago, I came across Bitcoin, researched about it and started investing in it. Uh, a couple of friends said I explained it really well and they thought, why don't you start a business teaching people? And that's what I've been doing for the past couple of years. That's fantastic. So when did you first encounter Bitcoin? Back in 2010, 2008? The very first time I've heard it was actually when I was in university. It's around 2010 almost eight to nine years ago. And when did you buy into it? Ah, but when I first heard about it, I thought it was a scam. Oh! Yeah, and it was $1 then. So I only bought it when it's about uh, 700 Okay. So okay. that's about two and a half, three years ago. Two yeah. and a half, three years ago. And little yeah. did you know, when you, when you first encountered it, you would think it was a scam. And then years later, you'd be talking about it on national radio yeah. and teaching it. It's hilarious, yeah. <laughs> okay, so first up, for the benefit of our listeners, what is the Bitcoin ecosystem? Maybe we can give it in broad strokes. Right. So the Bitcoin ecosystem, I would like to think of it as, if you talk about about money like the Sing dollar, you see banks, the central banks, the users, uh, the lenders, borrowers as part of this ecosystem, how to use the money, payment processes. These are the ecosystem when it comes to our traditional uh, money. So when it comes to Bitcoin, we have a similar ecosystem that is developing. Uh, mainly within this ecosystem, there are several things that are being done. So first and foremost, I would say is information, marketing and teaching about it. Um, things like adoption. So this is where we have companies that are trying to promote or trying to develop the ease of use for Bitcoin. There are development as well because Bitcoin essentially is a cryptocurrency. There's a lot of technology behind it and you have your software developers working on it. There is companies or there are companies that do payments that allow merchants and users like you and I to actually make purchases with Bitcoin. And of course, there is mining, which is, I would say, the bedrock that supports the, the blockchain and the blockchain is the technology which uh, Bitcoin runs on. Great overview there. Interesting you say that this ecosystem is developing so it is growing right yeah. before our eyes. More players are coming on board <laughs> yeah. as well and they're hoarders in the system as well, right? Uh, yes, so there are a whole bunch of many, many different types of people that are involved uh, in the ecosystem and uh, it's just constantly being developed for example, one of the critiques or one of the weaknesses of Bitcoin is that it's not scalable. It's only able to perform, what, six or seven transactions per second. And that is very far off from the number of transactions that's happening around the world every second at this moment. So in this ecosystem, they are developing something called the Lightning Network, which allows or tries to solve the issue of transaction speed. And, you know, we also see developments in terms of mining. So in terms of mining, we have this matrix known as a hash. And the hash 
basically says how secure the network is. And just this year, uh, the mining hash for Bitcoin has already hit new all-time highs. Okay, wonderful. I'm just going to backtrack a little to what you said. Everyone's excited about this Lightning Network. Uh, why is that? And is there any link to Lightning Torch term? Uh, no. Okay. <laughs> I'm not too familiar with Lightning Torch. Though. Okay, this- okay. So these are other, I suppose, supporting partners when it comes to Bitcoin's principle and resilience. Um, but you say people are excited about the Lightning Network because it could ramp up the number of transactions? Yes, that is correct. Um, so right now, because of the transaction speed of Bitcoin, there's a limitation on people using it. So when you use it or when too many people are using it, the network gets congested and it becomes very expensive to transact in in terms of Bitcoin. So this allows Bitcoin to scale where more people can transact, but the cost remains low. Okay, so we've all heard the stories about the the university-going undergraduate secretly trying to mine Bitcoin (laughs) in the hopes that it will help pay some of his uh, school fees. Help us understand the role of the miner, the trader, and some of the other relationships, maybe the merchants and consumers, and the hoarders as well in in this ecosystem. Okay, so we can actually categorise them into three broad categories. Uh, The miners will be the first, and think of the miners as the computers around the world that is tracking all the movement of Bitcoin. So for example, if I were to transfer one Bitcoin to you, Michelle, it needs to be recorded somewhere. Uh, historically, it's only recorded on the bank because the bank controls all the transactions on their servers. Right. But the beauty of Bitcoin is this idea of decentralization where everybody all around the world, every computer records the transaction that was done between you and I. And because everybody has seen this transaction happening and have recorded it, it then becomes a permanent immutable record. So miners then run these computers all around the world that powers all the transaction. And the reason why they do that is because they are rewarded with new Bitcoin. So when they provide this service, uh, the system rewards them with new Bitcoin and they earn an income. Then the second category will be the traders and hoarders. And these are the people who want to profit, right? Mm -hmm. They are the ones who want to profit and they use Bitcoin as a trading tool, as a speculative tool or simply as a store of value. And the third, of course, is your consumers and your merchants. They want to be able to buy and sell uh, products and services uh, using Bitcoin. Okay, so we've got a question that's come through. And by the way, keep them coming by at 97178893. That's a WhatsApp question. Uh, mm-hmm. Picking up on what you mentioned, what is a Bitcoin hash? Is that a hashtag or something else? <laughs> no, it's not It's not a hashtag. It's uh, another word, or rather I like to think of it as computing power. Like the, the amount of computing power that is used to mine. So essentially what this means is that when we say the hash increase, it means that more computers have been added around the world to contribute computing power to power this blockchain. Oh, I like that. You put it in a sentence first. The hash has been increased. Yes. Okay, that's how you use the term hash. And that refers to computing power. The hashing power to be The to hashing be power. Yeah. Okay, great. Um, so it sounds like traders and hoarders very dependent on the miners doing their work. Is that accurate in terms of the description between of the relationships between those two categories, miners and traders and hoarders? Kind of, but it's kind of like... You know, the central bank in Singapore prints the money, but how people use the Singapore dollar to trade right. is entirely separate from what the MAS does. Right, right, right. right. They are related, but it doesn't affect one another. Right. Yeah. However, right, so how this affects traders and investors is, for example, MAS decides, you know what, 
we need to power the Singapore economy. I'm going to print $100 billion. And this would devalue Sing dollars, right? So in the same way, uh, miners have that effect, that indirect effect on your traders as well as your investors. Okay, okay, got that. Uh, it said that Bitcoin pricing is impacted by many factors. And we're, we're doing this whole show on the Bitcoin ecosystem because we're trying mm. to understand uh, how Bitcoin prices are set, basically, yeah. right? What are the, the different uh, forces that influence the price of Bitcoin and how does it move? So can you share with us a little about the Bitcoin ecosystem and Bitcoin pricing as you see it? I like to think of it, or I thought of an analogy, right? Okay. Uh, and I guess this are what is this refers to the different uh, involvement of the role players in the Bitcoin ecosystem. So I would think of the miners as maybe Canada producing gold. Okay. They are the gold producers and this is what... Uh, the miners do. Uh, second, the guys at the banks and the funds that are trading gold, these are what the traders and investors in Bitcoin do. Yeah. So they trade Bitcoin to make a profit from the change in prices. If not, they hold Bitcoin, believing that five years from now, the price of Bitcoin is going to be higher than it is today. Uh, and last of all, the manufacturers that use gold in jewelry and electronics, those are the merchants and the consumers. So everything is related in a way. Uh, for example, if one day, for example, it's not going to happen, but for example, if one day uh, Bitcoin uh, miners, they, or rather it's going to happen in next year, in fact, because the supply of Bitcoin halves every four years. So the moment it halves, historically speaking, the price of Bitcoin has always gone up because the supply that comes into the market has slowed down. Whereas when demand is constant or even increasing, it pushes up the price of Bitcoin. Okay, wait, I thought anybody could be a miner. Yes, that's right. So why does the supply of Bitcoin halve every four years? Ah, so how it works is that everyone can be a miner. And what the miners do is that they have to solve an equation to earn the right to put in the transactions that have happened in the last 10 minutes. Right. And the person or the computer that is the fastest, that solves the equation the quickest mm -hmm. and puts in all these transactions, they win that block of Bitcoin. And this block currently gives 12.5 Bitcoins. However, every four years, it halves. By next ah, year, it okay. becomes six. Oh. Four years later, it becomes three. And another four years, it becomes 1.5. I see. Yeah. You know what? You do have a knack of explaining this so that everybody can understand <laughs> Thank <it>. you. <laughs> Chris, what are some safety concerns people have around the mining of Bitcoin? So when you say safety, are you referring to as an investor? Security, yes. Uh, so usually for retail investors, like anyone uh, like myself or anyone who just wants to buy one mining rig, the main risk, I would say, is the price of Bitcoin plummeting. So the buying of a rig could cost a couple of thousand dollars, but it takes about maybe three years to get back your initial investments. And if the price of Bitcoin uh, goes down by half, it would take six years. But we have to understand that computing uh, power increases all the time. So in three years, your mining rate becomes obsolete and you might not be able to make back your initial investment. Ah, yeah. okay. Help us understand, you know, the, the Bitcoin ecosystem is said to be underpinned by uh, the blockchain. Mm -hmm. Help us understand uh, what blockchain's role is in this system. Okay, I love that question. <laughs> uh, well, the blockchain is essentially a ledger. 
or we could say it is a series of records of transactions that have happened. Right now, these recording, for example, in our day-to-day lives, is done by a bank. If I transfer $10 to you from POSB to POSB, POSB records that Chris have transferred $10 over to Michelle, right? So this is essentially the same, except that rather than it being run by one single company, it is covered or this duty is covered by hundreds of thousands of computers, also known as miners all around the world. So what this means is that if you know, uh, some black swan event happens. And for example, uh, Singapore is hit by a nuclear bomb and everything goes down. Uh, for a company like POSB, and if they're all their servers are in Singapore, it could mean that your money is gone. But even if this happens in Singapore for Bitcoin, all the other computers from China, from Japan, from uh, the US, they are still running and maintaining the blockchain. Okay. So Bitcoin would still survive in such a scenario. But technically, because everybody who is as part of this system, who is powering the computing behind the system, has mm. access to, to the blockchain, yes. does this mean that it's oh, it's easy in terms... Manipulation is easy. Um, no. So once a record has been inserted and... Essentially, when the first, if you remember earlier on, we said that that first computer or that first miner that solves the equation and puts in the record, this is being checked by all the other hundreds of thousands of computers. And once they checked it, it's kind of like this equation is, or this transaction is locked in and you can't go back and change uh, history. Okay. So, yeah. Okay, great. So tell us a little bit, is, is there, you know, it's, Bitcoin is seen to fuel this new trust economy uh, or de- by decentralizing trust, I suppose. Yeah. Um, it is seen as a pioneering innovation. But is there a connection between Bitcoin and fiat at all? Oh, yes, definitely. Um, I think it is, the, the idea of trust has been around for a while. Uh, it's just that Bitcoin is trying to not allow one central entity to take control of it. But the relationship between fiat and Bitcoin is this. Currently, most of the world still do their trade, still do their purchase and selling of goods and services using fiat. Bitcoin covers a tiny sliver of that market. So as someone who invests in Bitcoin, ultimately, if I want to live my um, life normally, as if I may put it that way, I still need to convert my Bitcoin back to Sing dollar to purchase and to um, buy my daily necessities or even things like property. So in terms of Bitcoin as a medium of exchange of goods and services, we are not there yet. Right. I yeah. mean, we could do a whole show on how do I use my Bitcoin. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We <laughs> but can. we are seeing more companies come on um, and sort of enabling more tokenization. Yes. So tokenization is separate from, from using cryptocurrency to buy and sell something. For example, earlier on when we say one of the ecosystem uh, that's being, one part of the ecosystem that's being developed is something known as payments. Yes. So payments just means that we allow merchants, like in Funan, there's a, there's a food court that allows you to buy food using Bitcoin. Oh. So that ability is covered under the payments right. uh, pillar, if I may say. Tokenization seeks to tackle um, what we are doing now with, for example, REITs, right? We A REIT is basically almost like a token. A REIT is where you own, you are part owner of a shopping mall, right? A small percentage of that is owned by you because you have purchased a REIT. So now, 
what this tokenization or security tokens aim to do is to take that concept and put it on a blockchain. Yes, yes, yes. So it's using the blockchain, another innovation from the blockchain. And you can see tokenization of... All sorts of things from, uh, you know, access to... In fact, we're going to talk to uh, La Liga on Friday, you know, the oh, Spanish nice. um, organizing, basically the Spanish organizing body for top tier one and two football. Mm. And they're tokenizing the experience for fans across the world. Wow. Yeah, okay. really interesting. Using the blockchain as well. So that's... Interesting. Yeah, very. And I, I hear tokenizing is increasing. But back to the blockchain uh, and the Bitcoin ecosystem. So it sounds like there is uh, some sort of structure in this ecosystem where uh, a miner impacts the, the trader and the user and the um, the people enabling the payment side of things. Yeah. Can you help us understand um, how these movements could possibly help someone read where Bitcoin is moving? Uh, okay. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I think, first of all, there's, it's not easy, right, yeah. to, to pretty price. I mean, not just for Bitcoin, whether it is for currency, for stocks, or even for oil. Right? Yes, yes. And, and this is exactly like oil. I think it's a great example. So, a couple of days ago, yeah. over the weekend, I, Saudi uh, Aramco was hit, right? And, and when oil started trading, it went up 19, I think, 12 yes. or 19 percent. So this is kind of like what happens if, for example, the miners are hit. Because they are the one that's producing. Uh, if they are hit, well, we cannot draw a parallel comparison because supply is, is consistent for Bitcoin. But if, for example, the hashing suddenly crashes, mm. it means that miners and copy power are no longer used to support the blockchain. This would cause a drop in price. Okay. Potentially. Right. Right. And it's the same when it comes to traders. So in the world of stocks, you know, if someone holds 50% of the stock in a company and decide to sell it all on the market, it's going to cause a crash in the price as well. Same thing with Bitcoin. If someone holds a huge percentage of Bitcoin, they unload it on the market, it's going to crash. So this is where... Um, everything is kind of independent and yet interlinked. So where do you go for, I suppose, the news about movements in this ecosystem? We know that when it comes to, you know, currency and um, the price of oil, for example, we're reading geopolitical movements. Right. What what is the parallel for Bitcoin? So right now it's more limited because the entire industry is um, still being developed. But I think CNBC uh, webs, uh, page, web pages like CNBC, even Forbes, they actually run articles on, on cryptocurrency. That could be one source of information for the listeners. Okay, great. Yeah. Well, thank you so much yeah, for no you know helping us understand the Bitcoin <laughs> ecosystem. As you say, you know, whole books have been written about <laughs> the Bitcoin ecosystem, and it is changing as we speak. So I appreciate your clarity and coming by and, and sharing so openly. Thanks, Chris. Thank you for having me. Christopher Long is a founder of Crypto Trader SG. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download the SPH Radio app available on Google Play or the App Store.